Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here joining with us as we continue to really journey through the book of Philippians, passage by passage, verse by verse. And today, the passage we're going to be looking at together. Today, this passage actually contains something that's called like my life verse. Which, if you didn't grow up in church in the 90s, a life verse was like this thing that you kind of chose that seemed to like direct your life that really resonated with yours. And actually, when I was in the 90s, like this is the verse that most uh, directed me in the passage that we're going to be reading today. Uh, that's where my life verse is. And I know, I know some of you thought for sure that if I had a life verse, it would be in the Sermon on the Mount, right? But like, you know, that's my life passage because you can have to. So today, we're going to take a look at a really power-packed passage in Philippians. And I want to explain it. I want to explore it. And then we're going to be taking communion here together. So I want to begin, as we always do, by reading it and then just working it through, as I said, verse by verse, passage by passage. We read this. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Paul says this. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. He says, live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice, he says. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. And so, as we've noticed in many of these verses in Philippians, there is a lot that's going on here in just five verses. And we're going to see some of the same themes that we've seen actually since the beginning of the book. We're going to see some themes of grace. We're going to see some themes of community. We're going to see some themes also of the activity of God is really important in this. And so I want to begin with just the first few uh, verses where Paul says this, Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I think if we pay attention to this passage, I think what we'll notice is that there's this like theme of participation. And it begins where Paul says this. He says, dear friends, I've always, I've, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and even fear. And here what Paul is saying is really is that when it comes to our faith, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to actually following God, that we need to be responsible. We need to put work in. We need to put effort in. We can't just be passive and reactive. Paul is really clear. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Put some effort in. Actually, to use an older word, live righteously, which means to live rightly with God and with our neighbor. This is what Paul is inviting the Philippian church to do. He's inviting them to really take seriously their discipleship that they're invited really to follow Jesus with a deep level of commitment and also especially in actions. That's what's going on here. Paul's really challenging that church. He's saying you need to work hard. You need to put effort in. You need to be responsible. But I then wanted you to notice the very next verse because in many ways, it almost seems as if Paul shifts gear, but really he doesn't. Because Paul begins by reminding us that we need to put effort in, but I want to remind ourselves too that grace is the grounding of everything, and we will see that even in the next verse. Paul says this, For it is God who is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let me just read that again, because this is incredible. This is really important. If we're going to understand that first part about working hard, we have to understand the second part where it's all grounded, where it all flows from. For Paul says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So Paul's really clear, put in effort, put in work. But then what he's also really clear with is all that effort and all that work, do you want to know where it's really grounded? It's all grounded in the activity of God. 
actually. It's all grounded in his grace, in his gift, because he is the one who's working in you and he is working in me. And as the text says, he's giving you the power to do what pleases him. And that word there, power, word in the Greek is the word dunamis. And this is really a callback, again, to Genesis. Paul keeps referencing this uh, book of Genesis in the book of Philippians. This is an allusion to Genesis, where Paul's really what he's referencing is that the same God who created the universe, the same God who breathed all of existence into creation, the same God who's actually making every possibility that's happening currently, that same God who has that kind of power, that power is at work within you. That power is at work within me. That power is what grounds us to be able to follow through. And when Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, the only reason that we can do that is because of the very power and grace and gift of God that is working in you and it is working in me. This is what Paul is saying, for God is working in you. For God is working in you, giving you the desire. He's changing your desires. He's moving our desires from being distorted and pointed in the wrong direction towards his direction. And he's giving us the power to do what pleases him. So what we see here really clearly is almost like two things coming together uh, in these first kind of few verses. We see that, yes, we are to work hard, take responsibility, and not to be passive. But then even all of this is grounded in the grace, the activity, and the gift of God. So here, if we're going to take scripture faithfully, it really is important because it can help us to not fall into one of like two traps. That one, when it comes to our faith, we can't just be passive. We actually do have to put effort in. We actually do have to be responsible. We do have to put work in. But two, we have to remember that this actually isn't about us. This is actually about God working within us. That it's only because of his first step, his first gift of grace, the fact that he gives you power to do what pleases him, that we can even follow him. So here, here in this very first verse, what I think we see is really clearly is that Paul is inviting us, inviting us to participate in the ongoing activity of God. That's what's going on. That Paul's inviting us to participate in the ongoing activity of God in your life, in mine, in the world around us. That God is giving us the power to do what pleases him. And that's what we're called to do. Next then, Paul says this. He invites us to actually consider the kind of work we're called to be doing. The kind of thing that God is working within us to then follow through and fulfill. Paul says this. He says, so do everything without complaining and arguing. Is that not a verse for COVID-19? Okay. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Right? He says this, live lives, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. He's talking about his world in that day and age and how there is so much darkness and difficulty and oppression in his day and age. And he says, if you live differently right, than the world around you, you're going to shine like bright lights. And Paul's really clear about this kind of different living that we are called to do. What does he say? It's really explicit. He says, live without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live innocent and clean lives. Paul's really clear that to be a mature Christian, to be a mature follower of Jesus, you know what it looks like? It looks like living without complaining and arguing. Or to put it in a positive frame, it looks like actually living in harmony with those around you, with our community, with creation, with God. It looks like living in harmony with the relationships that we have. This is what mature Christianity looks like. But I would have to say, I'd have to say that as I've gone through this past year, and maybe you have uh, experienced this or seen this as well, that what I think COVID-19 has really done, it's really in many ways revealed the shallowness of uh, the faith and maturity of many within the Western evangelical world. Because when I've looked at Christians in public, do you know what I haven't seen? I haven't necessarily seen these verses actually being lived out. I would say that when I've looked um, you know, in public Christianity in the last year, what I've seen is a lot of complaining, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of dividing and splitting and debating and all of that. I haven't seen, as Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. This isn't what I've seen. I've seen this, you know, just so we're clear, in both the left and the right and moderates and progressives and everything. And do you want to know where else I've seen it? I've also seen this within me. 
that within me, I've noticed a tendency over the past year, maybe you can relate to this, I've had a tendency as well to criticize, to complain, to argue, to fight, to debate. But Paul, what he is inviting us to do, what he's inviting us to do in this passage is to trust in the fact that God is working in you and in me so deeply that we have that power within us, that's what he says, so that when we can live without complaining and arguing, that we can live differently. That what I think is going on is that within our broken humanity, there is an aspect of us that wants to complain and argue and fight and debate and split and all of that sort of stuff. And Paul is saying that there's God who's working within us, giving us the power to live differently, to do what pleases him, to live without complaining and arguing. And if we can do this, if we can live without not only complaining and arguing, but kind of the positive aspect of it, to live with harmony with those around us and with God and our community, Imagine how powerful that would be. Imagine how brightly we would stand out if when people think of Christians, they think of people who are so kind and generous and caring and who don't fight and argue and debate, but they actually live for the good of the world around them. Imagine if we took this so seriously. Christians would stand out. Our communities would stand out. Faith would stand out. Jesus Christ would stand out. Because I think what is happening in our day and age is it is becoming more easier now than ever to complain and to argue. And I think that people who live differently than that do stand out. I'll give you an example, okay? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was buying a bottle of wine at the LCBO, and I'm standing there, and the next person in line, the line's quite long, and I'm waiting for my turn to go up. And the person in front of me at the cashier, uh, he brings out his ID, and his ID is in like four different pieces. And he says, like, here you go, and he kind of hands it to the cashier, and the cashier says, like, I, I, I can't accept this, I'm sorry, and think you're gonna have to go get different ID or come back or whatever else. And this person in front of me, you know, trying to check out in line, they start yelling, they start screaming, they just start making this huge scene, they start shaming this lady, they start debating, they start arguing, they start calling for managers. It is like a really big scene and it is awkward and it is ongoing and it's really, really difficult to kind of watch. And so finally, it takes a long time. We've all been waiting now a very long time. So finally they deal with this individual and it's like my turn, I'm next in line, so I come forward, I come up, and the cashier says, I'm really, really sorry for that long wait and for all that, and I, I turn around and I say, like, I'm really sorry for what you just went through. Like, nobody deserves that. Like, that isn't how we should be treating one another. You don't deserve that. I'm really, really sorry. And she kind of stopped for a second, and she looked at me, and she said, you are the first person that has been kind to me today. You are the very first person that has been kind to me today. That I think in our day and age, that what stands out right now is kindness. What stands out right now is people who aren't willing to just devolve into anger and to complaining and arguing because, can we be real with this? What I did that day saying you didn't deserve that, that's not even, like, Christian. That's, like, just basic human. Right? Like this is how we all should be acting, but Paul is actually raising the bar and saying Christians should go even deeper than that. And this is what we are called to do. This is the hard work that we are called to put in. When Paul says, show the work of your salvation, but remember, we're relying on God's power within us to do that. So Paul tells us that we need to rely on God, and then he tells us how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live without complaining and arguing so that we will live differently in the world. And next then, uh, Paul says this as he continues. He says, then hold on firmly to the word of life. Hold on firmly to the word of life on the day of Christ's return. I will be proud then that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out as a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share in your joy. So here, here Paul is onto something that really is quite obvious. That if we're going to actually live this way, if we're going to live differently in a dark world, if we're going to live really as Christ commands us, this is going to take some work. So he says, hold firmly to the word of life. Hold firmly to the word of life. And here when he says this, this is not just about holding firmly to our beliefs and our convictions. Of course that matters. But really what he is saying here is he's talking about holding firmly to our beliefs and convictions in our behaviors, in our actions, in how we actually live and interact with the world around us. 
in Western evangelical Christianity, what we often do is we focus in on the beliefs, but Paul wants to laser focus us back in on our behaviors. Remember, in this passage, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about how we live, right? He's been talking about living clean and innocent lives. He's been talking about not complaining and arguing. He's been talking about relying on the power of God within us to actually live like Christ. This is about our lives, our behaviors, our interactions, the patterns that we live in our relationships. Paul's inviting us to hold firmly to the actual patterns that Christ has given to us. And this is really clear then because the next thing he starts talking about isn't beliefs. The next thing he starts talking about actually is service. His sacrifice is again action. Listen to what he says. And he says then, if you do this, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But listen to how he then focuses in on the importance of service and sacrifice. He says this, but I will not rejoice even if I lose my life, but I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, or it might say in your text, as a drink offering, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And he says, and I want all of you to share in that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now here, here Paul is actually going to say something that's quite countercultural. Because here what Paul wants to invite us into, what he wants to invite us into, follow with me, is a life of service and sacrifice for others. That's what he's inviting us into here, to have a life of service and sacrifice for others, that as we serve and as we sacrifice, that becomes actually what he says is like a drink offering. You know, you're pouring out your life to God. Listen to what he says. He says, and I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out as a liquid offering to God. A drink offering back in those day and ages, this is what it was. It's where you take something really expensive, a really important kind of a drink, and you would pour it out, not having it, and you would pour it out actually as an offering to God. And here Paul is using that exact same metaphor and image for his life, that his life will not be wasted. It'll be poured out on behalf of God in the life of service and sacrifice for others. That's what he says, right? Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. This is what's going on here. Paul is calling Christians to have this hard work and to actually show a life of service and sacrifice to those around them. But then Paul makes a really kind of astounding claim that our culture never does. An astounding claim that our culture kind of forgets. He says this. He says, I want you to share that joy. What joy is he talking about? The joy that comes with service and sacrifice. Here's what I want to say as absolutely clearly as I can. That when you serve and when you sacrifice, this will bring a deep level of joy that our world cannot give with its consumerism and self-centeredness. Okay? That there is true joy that can be found actually in service and in sacrifice. That's what Paul is getting at. He says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share in your joy. That what Paul is trying to get at for us is that what I think is something we need to realize is that if you want to actually experience joy, if you want to experience a depth in your life, if your life really wants to matter, it actually has to be connected to serving and to sacrifice, to pouring out your life like a drink offering as a faithful sacrifice to God and to those around us that we would actually serve and sacrifice for them. This is what Paul is trying to remind us of. And this is something that I think actually that our culture doesn't get. Our culture says if something isn't easy, convenient, and incredibly fast, we don't want it. That we think that the faster something is, the better, the easier it is, the more joy we'll we will have. This is actually why so many of us then end up leaving these like hollow lives, these lives that feel like thin and flat without much depth or meaning. It's because sacrifice and service isn't there. And if you actually pour out your life into sacrifice and service, Paul is really clear, then that's when you get connected with joy. And theologically, theologically, this makes total sense. That if you know who God is, 
and we should, because the way we know who God is is through Jesus' death and his resurrection, right? That this is the real, the real supreme revelation of who God is. That what we see with God is that he's about serving, he's about sacrificing, he's about pouring out his life for others, right? That's what the cross reveals to us. And if this is who God is, right? And if God is also the source of all joy and goodness, then the only way to connect with true joy and true goodness is to join God in what he is actually doing. And here's just a hint. Here's what God is doing in our lives right now. He is giving, he is serving, he is sacrificing, he is pouring out his life for us. And we are called to actually then join in the exact same attitudes and actions to those around us. This is what will cause us to live brightly in a dark world when we choose to actually find joy in serving and sacrificing for those around us. This is what Paul is calling us to. And he says, hold firmly to this. He says, actually work out the results of your salvation with this. He's calling us to a level of service and sacrifice that is needed. But this is not a wasted gift. That's not what he's getting at with this idea of a drink offering. It's actually a beautiful gift, not only to God, but it'll also connect us with deep joy that roots us and will ground us in something that is greater than just us. So what was my kind of main point today? Because I know we've covered a lot and there's a lot of different verses in here and there's a lot of important things that are going on here. Well, today we learned um, really three things, okay? That first, that I really believe that we need to participate in what God is doing, right? This is where Paul says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. And the fact he says to remind you that God is giving you the power to do what pleases him and to follow him. So the first thing we've learned is really that we need to participate in what God is doing. We've then learned that we need to live differently, right? This is where Paul says, clean and innocent lives, live and do everything without arguing and complaining. And lastly, we learned that we need to actually have the joy that comes from serving and sacrificing to actually pour out our lives like a drink offering. And for me, this is the verse that really has directed my life the most, that this is what I'm called to do as not only a pastor, as a Christian, as a, you know, a husband and all of that, that I'm called to pour out my life for others. This is what has really spoken to me and has guided my life. And I want to invite you into that. So today, so today, what is my main point? My main point is really simple, that you find joy and you find life when you join in, in what God is doing, serving and sacrificing for others. Okay? That's my main point. Because this is about how we live, right? This is about how we live with our family, our friends, our neighbors. This is about our actions and our behaviors that you can find joy when you join in in what God is doing, serving and sacrificing for others. That's my main point today. This is what it means to really hold firm to our faith. This is what it means to work out the results of our salvation. It means that we would actually pour out our lives serving and sacrificing for others, not making it about us, but making it about the world around us. And that we would do this really as an offering to God. This is why we here at Bethany, we often talk about three things that every Christian is called to do. We are called to first daily connect up with Jesus. We are then also called to journey deeply with others. But then as we've often said here too, we are then thirdly called to serve and sacrifice out in the community because this is where joy is found. This is where meaning is found. This is where depth is found. So today, so today, what does this then mean for us practically? Well, obviously, there's lots of practical applications I'd like to encourage you to like, consider and actually maybe pray through and to put some you know, effort into. Like, number one, live without complaining and arguing. Paul is like, unquestionably clear with this, right? He also then says that we should be serving and sacrificing. I think that we should be doing that. He also says we should be working hard, putting effort in our faith. I think that we should be doing that. I think that we should be living clean and innocent lives. I think we should be putting effort into that. So, but today, where I want to begin, I want to begin actually not with what we are called to do, I actually want to begin with where Paul begins with this. He actually reminds us actually of grace and the activity of God. I want to begin here for our own application today with this verse where Paul says that God is giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That I believe, I believe absolutely that we are called to go out and to serve and sacrifice out in the world. We are called to put effort into our faith. We are called to live in harmony with others. But the way that we do this is by relying and trusting on the power that is within you and within me that is given by God. It's by actually beginning by receiving. So today, today my challenge is really simple. My challenge is to receive from God 
so that then we can go out and to give and serve out in our communities this week. My challenge is really to receive so that then we might join God by giving and serving out in our communities, to receive the fact that God is giving us the power and the desire to do what pleases him. That if we want to live differently, it begins by actually relying on that power and that desire that's within us, and that's about receiving. So to actually follow through on this, what I want to invite us to do, I want to invite us to partake in communion. Communion is all about where we receive from God, where we receive the power that he has for us, where we are actually changed and transformed by him so that, so that then we can go out and live differently in our world, living like bright lights in a dark world. That's what I want to invite us into in this moment. I want to invite you to really connect and receive with God in and through communion so that then we might follow him this week. We might follow him, you know, this month. So we might follow him for the rest of our lives. So would you join with me in prayer this morning? God, I pray. I pray might we truly fully receive all that you have for us so that we might work hard, so that we might actually follow you, so that we might serve and sacrifice, but might we rely on your power that is within us to do that. God, I pray might you give us the power to live, you know, truly Christ-like lives in this difficult world that we are a part of. I pray, God, would you give us the ability to live without complaining and arguing. I pray, God, would you give us the ability to live in harmony. And I pray most of all, God, would you give us the ability to serve and to sacrifice like you do so that others might come to know you, so that we might be connected with you, so that we might experience the joy that comes when we pour out our lives for those around us. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, now as we come to communion, I want to begin by reading a traditional opening to communion to prepare us to really receive from God so that then we might follow him in service and in sacrifice. So we read this. That this is the table, not of the church, but of Jesus Christ. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here a long time or ever before. Come, all of you who have tried to follow and all of us who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, not because the church invites you. Come because it is Jesus Christ who invites you to be known and to fed here and to receive from him here together. And so on the night when Jesus was betrayed, we read this. That he took a loaf of bread and when he had thanked God for it, he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for your broken body that heals us, that restores us, that allows us to actually have the power to follow you. So God, today we turn our hearts and our minds towards you with gratefulness, with appreciation, with deep thanks for your sacrifice that was poured out for us so that we might receive from you and we might be welcomed into your family. Might we then, Lord, continue to follow you deeply with obedience and with faith, trusting in your provision for us. And we pray this all in your name. And then after supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and he said, this wine is a token of God's new agreement and covenant to save you. An agreement sealed with the blood that I will pour out for you. So let us pray uh, together again. God, we are so grateful, Jesus, for your life that was poured out for us as a drink offering for us so that we might be invited in how your life and your blood was shed for us. And so today, God, we come to you again with gratefulness and with appreciation, with deep love for your sacrifice. 
Might we, Lord, uh, continue to trust in you, to follow you, and especially to receive from you so that we might have the power to follow you and to do what pleases you. And we just pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And so may you, may you this week continue to work hard to show the results of your salvation, but might you also remember that it is not just about you. It's about the fact that God is working within you, giving you the power to do what pleases him. So might you go and might you serve and sacrifice and be deeply connected to God and to joy and all that is having, happening. And might you continue to see Jesus in your life and might you follow him. Grace and peace. <laughs>